Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. American needs individuals who not only recognize that righteousness exalted the nation, but sins are reproach to any people. Hello and welcome to Of God and Man, the show whose host is a crap salesman with a mouth full of samples. <laughs> this is your host, Brom French. By the way, thank you, Uncle Mike. What a great analogy that he shared with me several years ago. Uh, this is your host, Brom French. If you want to reach me, you can reach me at 210-854-8029. Or, and about at this point, it will only be text. Uh, receiving calls is next to impossible. Or you can uh, send me an email at the letter B, the letter F, the at sign, B-R-A-H-M-F-R-E-N-C-H dot com. That is B-F at Bromfrench dot com. And so last night I do receive a text from a, uh, and if I put the phone up on a window and the wind is blowing the right way and the clouds are just in the right position, I might be able to receive a text. And so I did receive a text just last night from a pastor telling me based on my previous podcast, not to live in the past. And so I had a question, which podcast were you talking about? Uh, <laughs> apparently I really live in the past. And he then brought up the uh, the podcast where I was speaking about my mother and saying that I had done a podcast that got everybody all riled up, all upset and angry. And uh, my mom commented about that particular podcast. And her comment about the podca- podcast was nothing like all the other comments that were coming into me. So by the fact I brought that up, he said uh, that I was living in the past and I need to quit. (laughs) I will say uh, he knew he would catch me off guard and uh, I would get a good laugh out of it. But I uh, I will address this real quick. This sarcastic, uh, bombastic um, individual. Uh, Well, what's a good term that we can... Uh, smart Alec, maybe, <laughs> and uh, obviously he has my number, and he knew exactly how to get under my skin, <laughs> and he had he made my day last night. And so now there's some other news, and you got to remember I'm out in the middle of nowhere, um, upstate New York, where you know I look out the window and I'm going to see trees, and um, if I'm lucky. Um, and the wind blows the right way, and I'm now the family I'm staying with, my aunt and uncle, they no longer have cows, but it used to be that if the wind was blowing the right way, you'd get a nice, um, fresh odor. <laughs> but, uh, so being out here, I'm very far behind the news. It still takes the news a couple weeks to get to us. And I hear about a Russian plane that crashed over Egypt or crashed in Egypt, and they are now saying that, from what I'm gathering, that external forces brought down this aircraft, that it apparently it, it must have been external forces, and the evidence is pointing in this direction. Well, the part of me has got to say, well, duh, what was your first clue, genius? You know, where was it that it finally hit you that, oh, 
You mean terrorists might be in Egypt? No, say it's not so. You mean in the Middle East, there might be knuckleheads that want to do harm to people? I mean, come on, that can't be true. After all, we're all so nice and generous, we open our borders and let everybody come in. And, you know, look, look at these Syrians. I mean, I mean, come on. Do we really think that they're mean and bad people? I mean, just because they beat up a four-year-old boy for kicking a soccer ball and, and, and almost killed him? I mean, come on. Just because a dad will steer off and intentionally run over his daughter uh, because she's not living as holy as he thinks she should? You know, come on. Do you really think that the Middle East is full of mean people? <laughs> now, speaking of that, and I, forgive me for being sarcastic, but uh, the evidence is overwhelmingly the case. Whether or not it was shot down, to me, honestly, I don't care. You're flying over terrorist country. What do you expect? What do you expect? So uh, the other day, a few months ago, President Obama came out and talked about how well, uh, the Muslims have so blessed and helped America, and I had told you that I was going to get to it, and I am about a week behind, and finally we're going to do it. Our non-transvestite NSA operative sent me an email, and I'm finally getting to, to where I can read it. I had to screenshot it because I don't have reception out here. But he has continually asserted, Obama has continually asserted that Islam was woven into the fabric of the United States since its founding. And so uh, Barton decided to take a look at this, and he found that the real contribution of any Muslim made was in, the 19, was in 1956. Now, this is 80 years after the founding of America, when the Secretary of War, Jefferson Davis, hired one Muslim to help train camels in Arizona. <laughs> Boy, what a contribution to this great land. Not exactly a resounding contribution, some might say, since the plan to fight uh, Native Americans was, uh, well, with camels was kind of, well, it didn't last very long. We'll leave, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. It wasn't quite uh, the strategy that they decided to go with. And so what are some of the other great things that they did? Well, they uh, hijacked some of our planes. They did have influence on early America, and that influence was one of a foe after winning its independence from England, Bartland says. Bartland, American vessels no longer enjoyed British protection. France, dismayed that the U.S. would not aid it in its war against England, also ceased protection of American ships. The result led to American vessels being raided and plundered by Muslim pirates from the Barbaria coast. After agreeing to pay 10% of the new nation's dis dismal GDP, in exchange for passage, attacks continued. Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin were sent as representatives to mediate the problem. It was there that they discovered that the Islamic law and the pirates followed, made it their duty to attack non-Muslims. Now, folks, does that not sound familiar? Isn't that exactly what the Quran has been telling us over the last several weeks? that this is a part of their belief. It was not by accident, not by chance. Uh, flying the planes into towers was not just a fluke, and they weren't, um, they weren't extremists. They were good Muslims. That's the problem. The ambassador, he goes on, the ambassador answered us that the right was founded on the laws of the prophet, that it was written in their Quran. 
that all nations who should not have answered their authority were sinners, that it was their right and duty to make war upon them whenever they could be found, and to make slaves of all that they could take as prisoners, and that every Muslim who should be slain in battle was sure to go down, go to paradise. Jefferson wrote to Secretary of State John Jay, explaining peace was not possible. Franklin wrote his experience, nor can the plundering of infidels be in that sacred book, the Quran, forbidden, since it is well known from it that God has given the world and all that it contains to his faithful Muslim men, who are to enjoy its rights as fast as they conquer it. John Adams, in his report to Jay, wrote of the Muslim prophet Muhammad and called him a military fanatic who denies that laws were made for him but arrogates everything to himself by force of arms. So this is the Muslims that woven into the fabric of America. By the time Jefferson became president, the Bombay Coast was extortioning 25% of U.S. GDP and attacks were still occurring. Jefferson wasted no time in signing a war powers request, which launched the U.S. entire naval fleet to wage war on the Bombay pirates. Jefferson saw the fleet off, ordering the U.S. sailors to chase the pirates all, all the way to Tripoli, giving rise to the famed verse from the U.S. Marines anthem. There you go, folks. Doesn't that just settle? Doesn't that settle? Yes, they were woven into American history, and this is American history. They were our enemies from the very get-go. Well, maybe we're not that far from being Jewish after all. <laughs> if you are Judeo-Christian, you must then be the enemy of the Muslim, of the Islamic State. I tell you what, uh, let me take a break, and when I come back, we will, uh, well, we'll go from there. Give me just a second. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. American needs individuals who not only recognize that righteousness exalted the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And we are back, and you are still listening to Of God and Man, you lucky, lucky people. <laughs> the beginning of the year, the end of last year, the beginning of this year, my wife says to me, she says that she is going to be, uh, she's going to change some things about herself that she is going to live life differently. She says that she had lived life unintentionally, just kind of rolling with the punches. But this year is going to be different, she said. She says she's going to be intentional. And so I asked her some questions. I said, okay, honey, you're going to be intentional. What are you going to be intentional about? And she says, well, I'm going to be intentional about life. <laughs> okay, honey. Um, what about life? Are you going to be intentional? And she says, well, I'm going to get a job. So, okay, well, honey, that's great. But you know, intentional people, they, uh, they don't just get jobs. Intentional people go after a certain particular job, something they want to do. They don't just go out and get any job. They're, they're intentional about the job they get. <laughs> and we had quite a long lengthy uh, conversation to which I quite enjoy because if you know my sweet wife and she is one of the sweetest ladies uh, you will ever meet 
and uh, she just totally grabs my heart. But, <laughs> but intentional has never been an adjective I would have used to describe her until today. She doesn't listen to the podcast, so she will never know. Uh, that's only the three of us, um, you and maybe one other person and myself, we're the only three that listen to the podcast. So Missy will never know that I'm going to say this. And so please, please don't go run and tell her. Uh, she doesn't need to know. But this year, we're coming up, we're approaching the end of the year. We're now in November. And I have sat and watched my wife as she has been intentional about life. And I've had to sit back with a big smile on my face. She wanted to lose weight. So she went on a diet. And the most I think she had lost at any one given time was maybe seven pounds. And now she's around 25. She was intentional. She wanted a job. She got a job. But then she wanted a different position at that same place of employment. And she got that position. And so regardless of the ups and downs, one thing I will always know, my wife, if she sets her mind to it, can do anything. What an absolutely beautiful woman to be married to. She'll never hear it. She won't ever know I said it. And uh, please don't ruin it. Um, I always want her to think. Well, I, I want her to, to know what I think. And what I think is she belongs barefoot and in the kitchen. <laughs> and if anybody ever says anything to ruin that, you're going to have me to answer to. <laughs> oh, here we go. The one part of the show we are all learning to dread. We're going through the Quran. What you heard was the, cra the car crash, the collision, if you will, of Christianity and Islam, or Islam. We're going through the Quran. We're looking at it to see if there's any way that this could be possibly the same God. If Allah could also be Jehovah, or if Allah could also be Jesus uh, for the Christian or for the Jew, we're, we're going and seeing if whether or not it is compatible with Judeo-Christian values. And so we're at verse 72 of chapter 2. Chapter 2 they call in English the cow. So we're in verse 72 of the second chapter, and this is what it says. And remember when you killed a man and fell into dispute among yourselves as to the crime. But Allah brought forth that which you were hiding. So we said, strike him, the dead man, with a piece of it, the cow. Thus Allah brings the dead to life and shows you his proofs, evidence, verses, lessons, signs, revelations, etc. So that you may understand. Oh, goodness, where do you go from here? So that you may understand. So let's back up, and we're going to look at this again. Remember when you killed a man and fell in dispute among yourselves as to the crime. What? Where in the world is this? Now, over and over again, we're seeing where Allah and Muhammad are saying, remember when, remember when, remember when. And so I thought, hey, maybe we'll find out when. And we went back to Scripture we went back to the Torah, we went back to the Old Testament, if you're Christian, and we started looking. Unfortunately, we never found anything to, to resemble remember when. There was no when for us to remember. <laughs> so over and over again, it says remember when, but when you go to the when, there's nothing there to remember because it simply just did not happen. I'm now at the point, I'm tired of looking. 
I'm tired of going back and trying to hunt to remember because these things are just all nonsense and they're made up. Every single one of them so far. So why bother with this one? And remember when you killed a man and fell in dispute among yourselves as to the crime, but Allah brought forth that which you were hiding. So what were they hiding? Good question. So we said, strike him. And again, it's the we, because Muhammad is as important. This is why you can't draw a picture of Muhammad without them wanting to kill you, because Muhammad is right up there. His prophet, so they say, is right up there with Allah. Do Christians get upset if you draw a picture of Jesus? No. Do uh, Jews get upset if you draw a picture of what you think Moses looked like? No. But why is it Muhammad? Because he's right up there. He is their God. They won't tell you that, but that is the truth. So we said, strike him, the dead man, with a piece of it, with a piece of the cow. I thought the cow was the sacrifice. I thought the cow was the covenant. Now, where in Scripture do you ever find where the Lord says, take a piece of the sacrificial meat and beat somebody with it, beat a dead man? <laughs> this is nonsense, folks. Absolute, pure nonsense and idiocy. And, and we both know it. All three of us know it. We all know this is hogwash garbage. This is as bad as that. No, it's even worse than that man telling me that uh, I can't live in the past when I talked about my mom. <laughs> and so it says, Allah brings the dead to life and shows you his proofs, evidence, verses, lessons, signs, revelations, so that you may understand. Allah has brought no one to life. Jesus is the only one. And in the Old Testament, it was Jehovah. But if you're Christian, Jesus and Jehovah are synonymous. Just in the Old Testament, we didn't know his name. In the Torah, we didn't know his name. Now we know his name is Jesus. And he is the only one. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Tell you what, let me take a second. When I come back, we'll go through the Bible in a quadrillion years. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. And we are back, and we're about to go through the Bible in a quadrillion years. We are in Genesis chapter 40, which is amazing, crazy, cool, um, amazing. Chapter 40, there are only 50 chapters in Genesis, so we are 10 chapters away, 11 chapters if you count chapter 40. So we're that much closer to reaching the end, which is just phenomenal. Genesis chapter 40, verse number 1, the Bible says this, And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers, and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. And they continued a season in ward. So they are in a season. They're in jail for a season. Now, this becomes crazy. I believe that the reason that the butler and the baker are in jail 
they are in prison was not for their sake, but for Joseph's sake. And not really for Joseph's sake, but for Pharaoh's sake. And not really for Pharaoh's sake, but for Egypt's sake. And not really for Egypt's sake, but for the Hebrews' sake. <laughs> it gets more and more complicated, or God uses this to reach more and more people. It comes to pass after these things. So now Joseph is in jail, but he has full reign of the prison. He is now second only to the keeper of the jail. So the keeper doesn't even know what's going on. It's all left up to Joseph. We saw that in chapter 39. Comes past after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. They offended the king of Egypt for a purpose and for a reason. And no, it wasn't just so that, well, the king will be upset and we're going to go to jail. No, it was because God had a destiny for Joseph. God had a destiny that had to be played out in Joseph's life. And Joseph could not die in jail. He could not die in prison. Now, some of us, we may feel like we're in prison, we're captivated, we're lost, and there is no hope, but you look around and all of a sudden you start seeing, well, look, there's this one, and there's that one, there's a baker, there's a butler, there's a, well, what does he have to offer me? Nothing. But if you will offer him and be a servant while he's in prison, if you'll answer his dream, God will elevate you. Again, I'm getting ahead of myself. But that's exactly what transpires, and God uses this to elevate Joseph. It wasn't by happenstance. It wasn't coincidence. It wasn't just a, a cause of time. It wasn't just an elapse of time that put these men in the same place as Joseph. But it was God-ordained. And it comes to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And so now the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, is upset. He has been offended by these two. And Pharaoh was wroth against his two officers, against the chief butler and against the chief of the bakers. So now Pharaoh is upset with them. He's angry with them. But again, you got to remember why. What is the real reason? What is the real cause? Any normal individual, if you were to ask me in my flesh, I would say, well, obviously the baker and the butler did something to get him upset. And maybe that's very likely so. But is it possible that God allowed that to happen so that they would be in the presence of Joseph? And so that Joseph will be there while they are there at the right place at the right time to give a word that will eventually deliver Joseph and deliver the butler. Deliver the butler, then later on deliver Joseph, then later on deliver Egypt, then later on deliver the 11 brothers deliver the Hebrews. So Pharaoh's wroth against the officers. He's mad at the chief butler. He's mad at the chief baker. And he put them in ward in a house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. It was a coincidence. You know, what would happen if we stopped looking at situations that present themselves to us as just a coincidence? and realize that maybe, just maybe, that God has allowed this person to cross my path for a reason. Maybe there is a purpose for the crossing of paths. Maybe it wasn't just an accident after all. You know, my good friend Charles, my good friend Charles introduced me to another good friend, Anthony. Now, Charles 
has, you know, he, he lives in Mississippi. Anthony lives in West Virginia at this point. But when Charles introduced us, it wasn't just by happenstance. I believe what Charles was doing, whether he recognized it or not, is he was introducing me to one of what would become one of my best friends. And so now, does Charles recognize the part that he played? I don't know. Maybe not. He's, if he's listening, Charles, thank you so much. This is exactly the same kind of thing that's going on here. He's being introduced to people. Pharaoh has sent them to jail for an introduction, for a purpose, and for a plan. Verse number four, and the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them. <laughs> this is too funny. And so now a prisoner is watching over prisoners. The captain of the guard charged Joseph. Joseph, keep your eyes on the butler. Keep your eyes on the baker. Watch them. Be careful about them. They served with Pharaoh. Keep an eye out. And he served them. And they continued a season in ward. So they're not there forever. They're continued a season. One of them, we're going to find later on, is going to be killed. And the other one's going to be promoted and given his job back. And the day is going to come that when he gets back into the king's house, he forgets about Joseph for a time until Pharaoh has a dream that nobody can answer. And then he's going to remember, the butler is going to remember, oh, that's right, there's a man that's still in prison that had a dream or was able to answer my dream. And so we're seeing the unveiling of Joseph's dream over the process of time. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen immediately. But it's a process of time. But it would not have happened if Joseph would have only looked at the butler and the baker and said, well, you have nothing to offer me. As a matter of fact, what we find is that he does exactly the opposite. Because verse 4 says that he served them. Instead of being served by them, he serves them. He ministers from the lowest position, just as Jesus will do for us on Calvary, just as he would do to the disciples when he would say, see, am, I, am not I your master and I'm washing your feet? And if you want to be great, you must become little. It's the same process, the same concept that John the Baptist had when they said to him, Jesus, your cousin's preaching and more people are following him than you. The multitude are leaving you and they're following Jesus. And John the Baptist would say, I must decrease that he might increase. Because true ministry is given in service. True ministry is when it doesn't matter about you, it matters about others. True service is when you're willing to lower yourself. And it doesn't become, it's no longer about your reputation, no longer about your authority, no longer about your power, but you're servicing others. What did the baker and the butler have to offer Joseph? Honestly, not much. Was it that the keeper of the jail could do for Joseph? Not much. Now, understandably, Potiphar, you know, he could be nicer to him. You know, Potiphar, you know, he could elevate you. He can bring you inside the house so that you don't have to sleep out with the cattle. You know, he could do that kind of thing. But what's a prison guard going to do for you? 
What's a keeper of a prison going to do for you, Joseph? I don't know. I don't know what he can do for me. I just know that while I'm here, I'm going to be the best servant that I can. I don't know what he can do. I don't know what he has to offer me. I'm just going to serve because that's what I know to do. And if you are a servant, and if you know how to follow, you know how to serve, God will elevate you and place you in a position of authority and power. Most times, you see, we want to be... One of my favorite stories is David. David was the shepherd king. But most times we overlook the fact that he was anointed by Samuel to be the king and then had to go right back to the same sheep that he was dealing with before. If God's going to elevate you, God will have to elevate you. You can't do it by yourself. You can't do it on your own. You just serve in the prison. But that's okay because God will use your service and others will watch and others will learn and your life will be the example that the world has been longing to see. And as God elevates you, people will recognize that elevation comes from the Lord because he served when nobody watched, when nobody noticed, when people weren't singing his praises, he serves. And so Joseph, nobody singing your praises. Nobody's talking about what a great man you are. Nobody's bowing down. You've had that dream for many years, and your brothers still have not bowed down. The stars still have not bowed to you. The grain, the fields have not bowed to you. But you just keep serving. And in your service, God will bring it to pass, because he always does. He is a good God like that. Thanks so much for listening. We will talk to you later.